Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky six fantastic guests we get things started with the u.s soccer hall of famer and fox sports pundit alexi lawless who has a relatively fresh take coming from the convention as it relates to his tweet where it says at u.s soccer we eat our own Gone now, Ernie Stewart, Brian McBride, still waiting to find out who the next U.S. men's national team coach is. Alexi Lalas kicks off the show. After Alexi, we meet Rob Smith, one of the true pioneers, recognized on that Saturday night by the black soccer coaches community as a local legend. Quite frankly, he's a national legend. You'll like my long interview with Rob Smith. We hit the training ground again with Dr. Rachel Linville, another great piece on mental health. Always enjoy her. I want to thank Lee Jarrell, who heads up high school programs for United Soccer Coaches, for bringing us the NFHS National Boys and Girls High School Coaches of the Year. We hear from the girls' side first in Bill Pfeiffer, and then the boys' side in Mike Haggerty. And we end with a 30 under 30 interview meeting a young man named Spencer Sandow. That's our show and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, League Apps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps, another jam-packed show filled with incredible guests and a lot of interviews that come at the right time. I was able to catch up with Alexi Lalas at the United Soccer Coaches Convention, as he always does. He stopped by Podcast Row and sat down with me, and it was really timely for multiple reasons. But before we get into that, let me say hello to the legend that is U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer and Fox Sports soccer pundit Alexi Lalas. Alexi, great to see you. Hello, Dean. How are you? Alexi, I'm great. Always great to see you. And I was really pleased that my wife was able to see you earlier where she wanted to get a picture taken with you. That's not like her. However, she is working on, among other things, not only the Super Bowl tailgate parties, but the Olympics in Paris. And she was on a call with all of the leaders getting ready for the Olympics that will happen in a couple years in Paris. And they weren't exactly getting along and there was a little bit of bickering going on. And all of a sudden my wife said, Hey, 
Did you not read what Alexi Lala said? We don't want to be like U.S. soccer. We don't want to eat our own. We need to support each other. So first off, the timing is incredible, Alexi, that you resonate all of the time. But your tweet was powerful and she used it as an example. And now she wants to send the picture to all those people, you know, one day later saying she was with you. But how about that tweet? This is really interesting times now as Ernie Stewart's gone, Brian McBride's gone, and probably Coach Burhalter as well. Again, your tweet says, at U.S. Soccer, we eat our own. That's pretty powerful. Mm. <laughs> Powerful, dude. Tell me about well, that. It's true. That's where we are right now. It's true. I mean, gosh, we live in interesting times, don't we, Dean? And uh, you know, while a lot of the news, let's be, let's be honest, over the last couple of years, off the field has been at times been negative and maddening and sad. You know, this this too shall pass. Um, you, you and I have been in this game for a long time, and we've seen ups and we've seen uh, downs. You know, the last couple of weeks with all of the news with. Um, United States Soccer Federation and our men's national team and uh, the Reinas and the Burhalters and all that kind of stuff. I know it's incredibly titillating and, and, and rightfully so because it, it makes people interested in this drama and this crazy soap opera that's, uh, that's going on. It makes me sad yeah. uh, for the people involved yes. and how this has impacted them, but it also makes me sad that at a time where we should be excited and we should be rejoicing, we should be preparing for a Women's World Cup in six months where we're going to potentially three-peat, something that's never been done, men's or women's, uh, and in three and a half years, hosting the World Cup again, coming back uh, to the United States. So that that is what we should be focused and have all of our energy on. And instead, it's on this, uh, you know, this, this, this other stuff. That will, that will go away. And, you know, sometimes you kind of need to go through these things in order to get to uh, the good stuff right now. But, you know, this is a family. This is a community. Uh, it's gotten much bigger, certainly, than when we started out. And that's a, that's a good thing but you know like like a family we fight and like a family at time we you know it's sometimes we uh we eat our own and that's that's something that i think we can ill afford to do yeah we can't do that so in your opinion what happens or what needs to happen however you want to handle that question for for the, uh, the u.s coach. men's national team yeah. i mean look gray burhalter right now is in limbo okay and not I, I I I don't know what the federation was going was thinking beforehand, okay? But if this ultimately shapes out where he doesn't get the job because of this, that's going to make me sad. And that is messed up, Dean. Having, having said that, I don't believe and I I've, I've said this for years that someone should have multiple cycles anyway, right. okay? But I think you can certainly, if you're the Federation, make a clear and concise case as to why you continue on with Greg Berhalter, and, and I would support him, and I have no problem if that if that happens. Um, and, and there's almost a part of me right now after this craziness over the last week where even though I don't think somebody should have multiple cycles, I don't want him to go out like this if this is uh, and uh, ultimately how, how it uh, ends. And if you're the Soccer Federation right now that's gone through <laughs> plenty of, uh, of upheaval over the last couple of years, maybe you just say, is it, worth, is it worth it right now? You know, is it just too much baggage? And that's unfortunate for Greg, uh, for Greg Berhalter, um, but maybe they just uh, move on. It's interesting I'm asking you this question right now because you and I had a front row seat seeing the power of Bora, somebody mm -hmm. who had sure. been at the World Cup and kind of a little bit of an international icon in his mm -hmm. own way. Maybe they need that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, 
the nationality of the person that coaches the national team is irrelevant to me. Okay. Uh, not irrelevant, but it does. It's not as big a deal to me. Um, you know, we've had, like you said, big name uh, coaches that have been foreign coaches that have had success at World Cups that have that that experience. We've had World Cup winners when it comes to Jurgen Klinsmann. We've had, you know, more traditional historic type of American coaches and legends in and of themselves with uh, Bob Bradley and and uh, Bruce Serena. We've had young coaches now with uh, with Greg Berhalter. You know, just just be good <laughs> and and that uh, you can find a good coach in major league soccer you can find a good coach around uh, around the world and this i think is a really really important cycle that we have coming up here this is this is somebody that is going to lead the u.s men's national team at a world cup in the united states you know we know the power of what a world cup can do we lived that power in 1994 we saw it firsthand we got to harness that and so we need somebody that we all feel confident is going to do the best on the field with the team that you have and Maybe this is a unique to the U.S., but your job isn't just coaching the team on the field. It's, it's bigger than that. You have to be the champion. You have to be the person that people look to. And so I don't know ultimately who, they're, who they are going to pick. Um, they're going to take their time because they do have a little bit of time right now. And I just want it to be somebody good, somebody that I can throw my support to. And at least I don't have to agree all the time, but I want to believe that they can do good things and make us proud come 2026. Short answer. In 1994, the hope was that we would make it out of group play. We did that. Everybody was happy. Yeah. didn't matter that we lost to Brazil. What's the short answer this time around in 2026 when we host? Well, like you said, I mean, qualifying for a World Cup is nothing new. We've done that multiple times. Getting out of our group is nothing new. We've done that multiple times. Winning the round of 16, obviously we've done that once um, in the modern era. And so that should be, at the very least, what we should hope for in 2026. But you know what? I go to World Cups to win World Cups. And I know some people say that that's just Pollyanna and that's delusional. No, it's not delusional, all right? People that say this is imposs impossible, that's all fine and well. But it's only impossible because somebody hasn't done it yet. And so I truly believe that this group that we have and the generation that we have, and by the way, the generation that we didn't talk a whole lot about that is coming up behind them, that's going to get the benefit of an, an Olympics be uh, between now and then, who knows Copa America, Gold Cups, all these different things, and is going to be pushing a lot, of, a lot of the guys that we saw in Qatar, and those guys that we saw in Qatar are going to be that much better. I mean, this is a real golden generation and therefore a golden opportunity. And so I don't want to let them off the hook. I want, them, I want them to go and win the World Cup in 2026. And it's going to be an expanded field of 48 teams. We don't know what the grouping is going to look like. So it might be wide open in terms of the possibilities out there. I love hearing that. I want to switch to the women now as we're here mm -hmm. with Alexi Lalas, an American soccer icon and a superstar on Fox. Carly Lloyd, in fact, she waved to you, just said she does not think the USA is going to win the right. World Cup. They won the last two. You always say pretty much every time you go on TV, if they don't win the World Cup, it's a failure. Yeah. You still feel that way? Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. a failure. And, and I say that with the, with the knowledge that the rest of the world's coming uh, from, you know, for whether it's Germany back at it again or, you know, England right now. I mean, England can't stop talking and yapping about, uh, you know, winning the Euros and yeah. it's coming home and uh, this is their to, time. And, yeah. and listen, uh, that's a good thing it's a good thing for uh for soccer in general for women's soccer obviously for the world cup and for our u.s national team to have some people that are challenging and to have competition you know having said that i wouldn't rule them out although i will ag 
agree with Carly. If I had to put all of my money right now on the UN, uh, the U.S. Women, win, women winning their third in a row, especially this group right now that's in kind of a transition mode, I, I wouldn't do it. I think what somebody else would uh, would win. I don't care who wins it. I just don't want England to win it. <laughs> well said. Last question, because you always seem to find joy in coming to the convention. Mm -hmm. You clearly have found joy in your job. I've told you before, I felt like you could have been the president of U.S. soccer if you wanted to, but I feel like you're in your sweet spot. Yeah. What does it mean to be in your sweet spot, be Alexi Lalas? I mean, I love what I do. I mean, they can pry it from my cold, dead, redheaded <laughs> hands, and hopefully it's many, many years from now. I, you know, I've told you that before. I, I'm a junkie for it. I'm so, you know, appreciative and lucky to have fallen into this because it, it jacks me up and gets me juiced just like, uh, you know, the best things in my life, and it fulfills me, and I can get better, and I got, I still got a long way to go, and I want to keep, uh, uh, keep doing it right now. Um, and, you know, I, and I've told you this before, but a lot of us that, that kick the soccer ball get a lot of credit for, you know, where the sport is and how far it's come and the growth of the game. And that's all fine and well. But you and I both know that there are men and women um, who have worked tirelessly, for some for decades. And this is why it's fun to come here, because I see, I see a lot of them, okay? And they deserve as much, if not more, credit for where the sport is. And I know we kick ourselves for what we haven't done, but the reality is we also at times have to pat ourselves on the back. And whether it's you or any of the men and women here, whether they're young or old, each and every day they push that boulder up that hill. And it's, 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 it's a labor, okay, a labor of love, but it is still a labor. But it's gotten a whole lot easier. And I stood on the shoulders of the generation that came before me. I love that this generation doesn't know some of the crap that we all went through because that, to me, is progress. And that makes me incredibly proud that there are kids that I see walking around the floor here uh, at the coaches convention that know nothing of all the trials and tribulations and the difficulties and challenges that we have had because that means we've changed it for them. They have more opportunities, they have more pathways, they have more resources, they have coaching and facilities and they're able to watch it on television on a consistent basis. All those things make me incredibly proud, but we've all done it together, including you, my friend. Lexi Lalas, thanks for always having time for me. Oh, of course, it. of course. Back with more United Soccer Coaches podcast after this. Introducing the first ever CoachCon, presented by Soccer.com in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, August 11th through the 13th. Register now to experience distinct coaching education from top-level professionals and earn a special topics diploma in game analysis or organizational leadership. Spots are extremely limited. Register today at unitedsoccercoaches.org slash coachcon. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Dean Linky. delighted to be with Robert Smith. Most people call him Rob Smith. He was recently recognized by the Black Soccer Coaches as part of their amazing 2023 Legends Awards on the Saturday night of the convention. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know how much it moved me and quite frankly, how much it moved everyone in the room. Rob Smith was recognized as a local legend. And I remember Nicole Hercules saying, Rob has done so much, I don't have enough time to read his bio. And I kind of feel the same way, although we're going to walk through a lot of his steps. But first, we're just going to say, Rob Smith, look, it's time for you to receive the spotlight. It's time for you to be recognized. So with that, I'm delighted, sir, to have you on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, Rob. Thanks for joining me. Oh, it's uh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Now, before we really dive in and talk about your connection to Mike Curry and what took place on that Saturday night at the convention, we just heard Alexi Lalas talk about the fact that U.S. soccer needs to make sure 
they don't eat their own. Along those lines, as you know, Ernie Stewart just stepped down, Brian McBride just stepped down, and you, in fact, have a couple names in mind that could be great leaders, and they do happen to be people of color and people of substance. I will promote some very smart black gentlemen that people need to start reaching out to and help this U.S. soccer landscape. We need a new Ernie. Gucci and Weyu should be considered. The work that he's doing to pre prepare himself is unbelievable. Eddie Pope, again, another guy, just kind of quiet behind the scenes, intelligent. Somebody could pry him into something of significance. These guys offer a fair and equitable perspective that long-term can be very, very beneficial to this game. As you know, one of my dear friends is Mike Curry, who's also getting to know my wife as well, which I think is so cool. He's that kind of guy. You know he's that kind of guy. And I told him that I wanted to talk to you as well. He sent me a lot of information on you. But first, talk about the impact that Mike Curry has made on your life as we get to know you a little bit better. I call him my big brother, and we go back and forth a while. I met Mike maybe 30 years ago on a sideline. We were actually coaching against one another. <laughs> which was pretty interesting because it's not something that you really saw back in those days and particularly on the women's side. So we became friends through that experience. There's some funny stories that I'm sure he'll tell you about that experience because I was blowing him off. I was, I was trying to focus on, on the game, but uh, we became such friends that when we played later games in our careers against one another. We actually sat on one another's benches and the officials were very confused by that. <laughs> so Mike has also mentored me in my personal life, et cetera. We're very tight. We talk about once a week. Just love him. Like I said, he's, he's a big brother to me. That's a good big brother to have. I am just going to read off some of the great things you've done in no particular order. And even while I'm doing it, I know that I'm going to miss a lot of things but folks it's time for people to hear the story of rob smith he is a big time executive with nike now he still consults with nike in different roles and i want to get into that he's had a distinguished career at downingtown west women's varsity soccer he's the current chair of coatesville area school district foundation he's a former united soccer coaches board member back when it was named nscaa he was a pro soccer representative. He's the former president of FC Delco Soccer Club. And I met too many coaches that told me that Rob Smith used to beat their tails at FC Delco, where he's also a current FC Delco board emeritus. He has been recognized by the Lancaster Inferno in multiple ways, went into the FC Delco Hall of Fame way back in 2006. He's part of the SEPA Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. Of course, known as SEPA. The Philadelphia Union Foundation Board, where he was a longtime valuable staff member with arguably one of the model franchises in Major League Soccer. And that just starts to tell the tale of Rob Smith. And Rob, you've done all of this, and yet you've never sought the limelight. What is it about you that makes you say, you know what, I'll leave that to others? I would tell you that it was kind of by design, just kept my head low. Soccer's been my passion since I've been about 13 or 14. Today's standard, that's probably coming to the game a little late. 
to catch up technically with everybody, but I was able to do that and have a good career. I initially chose not to work in soccer, but rather just kind of get on the sideline and volunteer as I figured out my corporate life. So through that, I got pulled in a number of directions and was able to kind of stay behind the scenes, really set out to accomplish some things early on that were more a result of some racial inequities that I faced as a player. And my goal was to set an example in the white community that there are many, many good Black people out there. And instead of preaching, I went about developing relationships with young people in the sport that someday would carry the torch towards equality. That's powerful. And I think that tells a lot about the different stops you've been on as well, the way I understand it from Mike Curry. But if you don't mind, indulge me a little bit. Tell me where you grew up. When did you first find the soccer ball? Maybe was there were other sports before that. Maybe even tell me a little bit about your family, how many brothers and sisters, and then walk me through. Did you go to college? Where'd you go? Did you play soccer in college? And then what happened? And I know that's a lot, Rob, but if you could give me your elevator speech so we can get to know you a little bit better, I would really appreciate it. Born and raised in Coatesville by a single, single mother. And those folks that don't know Coatesville, it's west of Philadelphia. So our most famous athlete is Rip Hamilton, played for the Detroit Pistons, actually grew up with his dad. I did play three sports. Early on was football, basketball, baseball. Mm-hmm. Eventually, through a football injury, my gym teacher kind of convinced me to come out and try this thing called soccer. (laughs) So I reluctantly went and I'd say fortunately for me that day, I saw this German foreign exchange student ball juggling and it kind of captivated me, but I, I never thought I'd be able to do that. So I was like, yeah, I'll try this. Why don't I just be the goalkeeper? Problem was, it couldn't touch the crossbar. (laughs) So, so, uh, you know, I, you know, kind of fell in love with it. Eventually, by my 10th grade year, dropped every other sport. And at that time, I had spent about three months in Jamaica. My mother was a longtime basketball coach and said, uh, you really like this, don't you? And I was like, yeah, I do. I think I found found something that I can, one, I enjoy it, two, I can differentiate myself from all the other stud athletes in in Coatesville, kind of in my lane, and we had some family friends, went and spent the summer there, and technically, I came home, I had caught up to almost everyone. The benefit that I had of playing three sports, specifically basketball, when soccer was explained To me, the first time I walked on the field, it was explained by a basketball coach from a basketball perspective. Still to this day, I will tell you, soccer in my mind, tactically, is a game of basketball. Five on five, triangles, your zone defending. What he did to me was stand me in the center circle and said, where are you? I was like, I have some big open space is where I'm at. (laughs) He said, said, nah, this is the jump circle on a basketball court. Walked me down to the 18, stood me at the 
top of the D. He goes, where are you? I'm like, it's still a big open space. I don't get it. He goes, this is the top of the key. You're a point guard. You'll shoot jumpers from here. Mm. And he goes, and see these, this 18 yard box, that's the foul lane. I'm like, ah, okay. And started resonating a little bit. Then hmm. he asked me some tactical questions. Okay. So if you were playing basketball and someone did this, what would you do? And I say, oh, you cut off the baseline. He goes, well, you do the same thing in soccer. You cut off the end line. Hmm. Asked me some fundamentals, uh, but you know, you, you got a shot blocker guys coming down the middle. What are you doing? I'm going like, oh, we're going to funnel him through the shot blocker. He's going to say, yep, that's your goalkeeper. Right. So cutting angles, all those things. I had vision from playing basketball, which I had to have because I was short, played against a bunch of tall guys. So I had good vision and all those things. The thing that I, I lacked that I found out within a week was the ball skill. And I just dedicated myself to catching up, breaking windows in the shed, breaking windows in the house, <laughs> kicking against the wall, and then just kind of grew from there. I played at Geneva College in Pittsburgh. That was the really the first time I would say on a several times a week basis that I faced the racial adversity being called out of my name, being, you know, buttons being pushed in the, in the flow of play and, you know, in the neighborhoods and things like that. And it was um, kind of a rude, uh, rude awakening, but it's also the place after some trials and tribulations that I made that decision through my coach at the time, Bob Fertosis, that I'm going to find a way, I'm going to find a way, even in this, what I call the black period of soccer, when the NASL folded, <laughs> I'm going to try to change a few youngsters that can kind of speak out on my behalf. And if that would open people's mind to, that we were not who they thought we were, then that would be extremely helpful which led to uh, these things that people say I do behind, <laughs> behind the scenes that I, you know, just kind of laid low because I really just chose to focus my accomplishments on youth. Mm. And when you say youth, do you mean all youth or do you mean black youth? What, what do you mean by that, Rob? I will tell you it was white youth. Okay. I'll share the experience of how I actually got there. Part of uh, the requirement from our coach at Geneva was we would volunteer our time in a local YMCA program. We would help train the rec players, which is what we would call them today. And we would also referee in the YMCA in-house league. And through that course of time, I became attached to this young man and we were very tight and, you know, college kids, we don't, we don't have any money. Right. So, uh, you know, we pinched a few few pennies together. And the last game of the season, we invited all the kids to the Dairy Queen and we picked up the bill. And after the game, I asked the young man if he was coming and he was like very sad. And I was like, what, what's going on? Why not? And he says, well, my dad doesn't want me going anywhere with a few choice words of what he choose, chose to tell his son. And, you know, it broke his heart, broke my heart. And that, after about a week or two and some prayer and counseling, this is the way I went about it, to plant seeds with young white kids that when they grew up, that they would give people of color 
an opportunity to be judged on their merit mm. and personal experiences versus a stereotype. Wow, Rob, that's outstanding. I, I love that. And I feel like maybe in my life, there were people like you. I had a professor at Ohio U that was actually in my wedding, one of the first black sports editors. And maybe that was his mission. I just didn't know it. I just knew that he was a great person. I like you sharing that. You know, I rattled off all of your accomplishments. There's three particular ones that I kind of want to focus in on and get your thoughts on as well. And thanks for sharing that story, because then along the way, great things happen to you, including working for Nike for a long time, where I know you still do some things for Nike. So let's talk about Nike. How did that happen? What did you do for Nike? And how much did you enjoy it? First of all, I tell you, it's probably the best job I ever had. It was just absolutely wonderful. But, you know, to make a reference back to my mentor and big brother, Mike Curry, clearly this happened prior to me meeting him, but some of the experience that I've had are actually part of a professional development segment that he, he and I put on. I really networked quietly in the youth soccer space with some parents that I felt comfortable with. And as I told you, some of the young men, I would take under my wings and continue to try to plant that example. One of the fathers actually worked at Nike, kind of unbeknownst to me, came to me one day and said, hey, my company is hiring. They're looking for a sports-minded accountant. And I was like, what the, what the heck is that? You know, these sports marketing, sports management, sports business majors didn't exist. <laughs> we're just a, an accountant business administration major, and that's what you were. And you happen to work in the sports industry. And I was like, ah. I'm, I'm pretty sad. I'm a corporate controller. I'm climbing this corporate ladder over here. And he was a little persistent that I at least take the interview and open myself up to what it could be. Reluctantly went on the interview, actually almost left because I'm sitting next to the vice president of finance for Campbell Soup, who had just finished interviewing for the same job I was interviewing for. <laughs> I can't compete with this guy. Um, anyway, I go through through with it. And back in those days, no cell phone. But when I got back to the office, there was a call there from John Peterson, who actually ended up hiring me and offering me a position saying, hey, we'd like to fly you out to Portland. And if you do well out there, there could be a job offer before you came came home. Well, problem was I was in the middle of closing year-end, being audited by a big eight firm. They're 10, 12 hours a day, five days a week, sometimes six. <laughs> like, there's no way I can go. Our CFO, again, was a mentor of mine. So I explained it to him and he asked me what I was going to do. And I said, well, you know, I've been thinking long and hard. I'm not going. I went off to lunch, came back and he called me in his office and he put a plane ticket in front of me and said, if you go and you don't get the job, you have one when you come back. If you don't go, you're fired. So I really <laughs> didn't have really didn't have a choice. So how about that? What a great yeah. mentor. Yeah. What a great mentor. And so yeah. how many how many years at Nike were you there? And I know you're still I, doing some things, but how long's it been? I was there for 12 years. Okay. Um started off Nike was what I would call an up-and-comer, probably third or fourth in the industry at that time, which is you know, people find that hard to believe today, but um, 
you know, I was in uh, the mid-Atlantic region uh, as a regional sales operations manager. There was five of us across the country. Our responsibility was building out Nike's infrastructure out in the field, developing all the policies and procedures, bricks and mortar, to decentralize their operation from Portland to the field. So just to give you an example, one of my offices was approximately $4 million a year. In the next three years, we went from four to 40 million. Mm-hmm. So you can extrapolate that across the country and you know, kind of see what happened. So you know, I was there, what we would call the front office side, again, behind the scenes, just making things happen, getting things done, I got some project management and construction experience that I never expected. Got a lot of marketing experience, which I also never expected. And then right after the World Cup here in the U.S. in the 90s, Nike decided to get into soccer. My boss knew I was a a soccer crazy guy. He often let me go coach and run practices, convinced me to pretty much do the same thing for the Nike soccer division until I left. I had a great friend, Joe Ellsmore, the the whole Carney connection that I worked very closely with. And when I left, I've continued to do things off and on with them over the years, whether it was U.S. soccer out in Carson or assisted a couple World Cups with some of the expertise and experience that I have. From time to time, I'll get a call and I jump in with both feet. I love it. I love Joe Ellsmore. I, I don't believe he's with Nike anymore, right? Joe's doing some other stuff. No, right? no. Yeah. Okay. He is not, but Joe and I communicate mm, bi-weekly. I, I still do some, you know, kind of project work with him as, as he would need it. Send Joe my best as well. And I mentioned FC Delco, which is one of the premier youth soccer clubs in the country. I think I can say that, right, Rob? I mean, it, it's a, it's a powerhouse, is it not? I would say that it it was prior to the MLS coming to Philadelphia. I would put FC Delco back in those days up against anyone and not just one team. All of the age groups top to bottom were talented. My dear friend Sam Holtz and Mike Gorney and Nick Chrysanthemum, who had started the club about two years prior to recruiting me into coach, did a wonderful job. They created an environment, which I will tell you, simulates some of the things that we see in the evolving landscape today. So we were pioneers ahead of our time, risk takers. Some people might've called it unconventional or whatever, but within a 60 mile radius, the best players wanted to play in the club. We just found a way to make it happen, regardless of your means. If you were dedicated and you had the ability, we had a home for you. And the way I understand it, your work at FC Delco caught the attention of people like Hank Steinbrecher and the leaders of U.S. soccer. So Sam and Mike Gorney, the two very, very respected FC Delco, I will call them uh, founders, brought me in, then convinced me to be president. Like, I don't know, is this a setup? But anyway, you know, you, you can imagine with six, seven, oh, we were about 150 boys at the time. And the, the coaches' egos, highly successful coaches, that they all come with egos. So, you know, to be asked to be the president of that room was a bit intimidating. However, 
what it led to was um, actually it was Joe Ellsmore said, uh, you guys need to talk to this um, guy, Rob Smith. He's the president of FC Delco and see what they're doing. And clearly everybody knows the name of the club. We had played in Dallas Cups, won national championships, been on the cover of Soccer America and things of that nature. I go out to Shula Vista and I go in a room and it's Hank Steinbrecher, Sunil, Bruce Arena, Derek Armstrong from the La Jolla Nomads. Yep. In my mind at the time, I'm going sitting around, you know, the highest level soccer royalty in a room. And I'm like, what the heck are us, <laughs> us two club coaches doing here? I don't know anybody. Maybe Derek does, but I don't. And it was, um, you know, they just wanted to, you know, kind of pick our brains on what was happening in the grassroots roots space. I, I also will tell you, I think people, without saying, were shocked that there was a black guy sitting at the table that's in charge of this very powerful youth club at the time. I just kind of introduced myself and said, I, you know, I'm with FC Delco and yada, yada, yada. And Hank just kept drilling me you know, getting deeper and deeper in, in the questions. So I, I will tell you what came out of that meeting for me a year or two later. Remember old Project 40 rolled out? Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to tell you, when I read Project 40, that was FC Delco. Mm. Uh, except we were, you know, what I would say more localized. I will tell you, our teams were better than ODP teams. Mm. We found a way to provide a low cost best competition in the country that you could find. We didn't want to beat up on kids in Pennsylvania. So we were one of the first clubs to travel and play friendlies. You know, we'd go to Arizona, Mike and those guys had connections. They make phone calls. We'd go to Arizona and play a weekend of friendlies. Not, we didn't play in a tournament, <laughs> spend all that money later on we formed this thing called the continental alliance which was a number of the best teams across the entire country we'd agree to meet somewhere and play in a tournament in the same bracket so we could ensure we had quality competition if we were spending that money that's the, that's the same model as the da when it first started <laughs> so like we were so far out of the box and innovative and people thought we were crazy. And by the way, we didn't spend a ton of money doing it. None of the coaches at FC Delco were ever paid while I was president. No, everyone coached because they loved the sport mm -hmm. and they had corporate jobs or owned businesses, mm -hmm. but they were very, very good at what they did in uh, developing teams and players. Wow, yet another layer to Rob Smith, and we haven't even got to your role at the Philadelphia Union because your work at FC Delco opened your eyes to the power of girls and women in soccer, and then that translated also to the high school level where you had great success. I need that story too, Rob. I started girls at FC Delco. I went from the transition of convincing little white guys that black guys were good to 
I got to do something for all these little girls that are hanging around with the FC Delco boys, their little sisters. <laughs> and so I convinced the board to let us start a girls program. And I will tell you the first seven, eight years, the girls were as good as the boys minus the national championships, won every state title in regional semis and finals. It was crazy. But at any rate, I just had the flexibility that I could actually coach high school. So I coached the girls team in Downingtown. Uh, we won five state titles in nine years. Wow. They called you the little Anson or the black Anson. Which one was it? (laughs) It was little Anson. Uh, You know, somebody puts a nickname to you and Anson is in it in the the girl side, (laughs) but now, you know, you're, I'm not going to argue over some, I said, yeah, but you know, at the same time, I had a tremendous amount of help because the transition from my last boys team, seven players went to the MLS off my last boys team that I coached from FC Delco. Mm-hmm. So to transition the girls, it, it was um, very interesting. The lady that I am dating, she was the head coach my first year, and then we switched so she could have children. She helped me transition into dealing with women the differences between men's and women's personalities. I'll tell you, they are some of the best brand of soccer mm. has been the, the women's teams that I've coached. They're just so willing to accommodate and buy in the tactics. Guys are hard heads. They, they always got to prove, trying to prove something, whether it's soccer related <laughs> or not. Uh, so we had a lot, we had a blast. And then you found a home with the Philadelphia Union. You had a big time job with the Philadelphia Union. Remind me what that job was and remind me the years that you were with the Philadelphia Union, Rob. They played their first game in 2010. I was hired in 2008. Stadium was still in architectural design. And that's a, you know, a funny story as, as well. You know, the whole networking and relationships that you develop over time, especially for myself through the sport, there's good and bad with those, but for the most part, they're good. I had built the United Sports Training Facility in Downingtown with a gentleman named Ted Van Buren. One day I get a call from Wayne Rasmussen, who says, uh, got this guy I want you to meet. And I'm like, all right, so what's this all about? I'll just tell you when you get there. You know, so I meet him in Philly and we go walking to the table and I see Nick Sakevich <laughs> and I just started laughing. He looks at me and I look at him. I'm like, you know, what are we doing here? I had met Nick when uh, the MLS launched what is now the Red Bull, but at the time was the Metro Stars was a Nike team and it was my responsibility to handle them. So I had met Nick there. <laughs> Nick says to me, so you're this guy? called Smitty that everybody says needs to be a part of this franchise. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, we got an MLS team. I'm like, oh, that's great. (laughs) Never really thinking much of it, but ultimately two of us go interview with Jay Sugarman. And before I got back on the train, I got a call from Nick said, well, I got good news and bad news. What do you want? I said, give me the bad news. He goes, well, you didn't get the CFO job. And believe it or not, I was kind of relieved. 
I did not, I did not want to get back into accounting after having been at Nike. Um, I said, so what's the good news? He says, Jay Sugarman said, find a job for you. So we're hiring you both. So started off really as a director of operations, really doing a lot of the same things that I did when I went at Nike is there's two of us, you're building out departments, you're getting interns, you're hiring people, you're value engineering a stadium, you're walking around on the site some days in boots and in, in the mud as the stadium goes up. I actually went and did the first draft and took notes. We didn't even have a coach. <laughs> so a lot of things to get us where we were. I ultimately finished there as vice president of soccer development and community relations. So you started in 2008. So then when did you finally leave the Philadelphia Union? 2015, 16. I've got to ask you, because these are incredible stops. What were some of the reasons for you leaving and moving on, Rob, in your own words? In my own words, you'd like to think that you control your own career path as long as you're producing or performing. I will tell you, I quickly realized that there's this some people call it a glass ceiling. I would tell you it's much harder than that. It's a concrete floor that you got to get through to, to go above. And a lot of those obstacles I felt were put there because of my color. Mm. And after a while, you, you get tired. Unfortunately, when you get tired, some people might call it quitting. I choose to call it. It's like I needed to get a fresh start and get rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. and find a place that maybe I could prove myself a little more. But primarily, it's taking those experiences and being able to help people of color navigate and potentially get a little further than I did. A lot of it was bittersweet. All of my experiences and a tremendous amount of people that I met until you get to a certain level were very good to me. And I think I've mentioned to you, um, my boss who pushed me to Nike, he was a white man and he was great. I put him in a category of Mike Curry. Mm. Um, his comment was, you have too much personality to sit around being an accountant and where your personality is not coming out. <laughs> That's yeah, which yeah. is, uh, you know, which was a great bit of advice and encouragement for me at the time. I thought I was taking a big risk on the Nike. However, it led me in a lot of, a lot of different um, directions, particularly within the sport and with my very wide range of skill sets to be able to put myself in situations where I could get some things done. Some of it was behind the scenes intentionally on my part. Some of it was behind the scenes intentionally for other people that unfortunately controlled my destiny. And that's, mm. you know, it just is what it is. I don't, I don't choose to be bitter. I choose to take those examples and share those with my colleagues. Maybe it's a little bit easier for them. I don't know, but I can give them some advice on how to navigate, how to stay patient, what it looks like when you get there. Potentially, uh, if we arm them early, then we have a better shot. Wow. That's so well said. I appreciate your honesty and your 
transparency on accomplishing all these great things and understanding the roadblocks that were in the way, you know, simply because of the color of your skin, which there's a lot of other stories we can tell, but it leads me to that Saturday night a few weeks ago where there were so many people in that room and it was an incredibly inspirational week, but Saturday night was the most inspirational moment. I think I've ever been a part of personally. And like you, I've experienced the World Cup and I've experienced the Olympics. I've experienced the start of Major League Soccer, USL, the new NESL, all of it. And I've never felt the way I did on that Saturday night as part of the Black Soccer Coaches 2023 Legends Awards, where you had great people being recognized like Kimberly Crabb and Doc Simpson and Stacey Wilson and Robert Williams and JT Dorsey and Kidani McAlpine, the captain of cool and Sammy Botang and Kia McNeil and Jeff Van Dusen and Ashley Fontes Comber and Lauren Donaldson, who I knew from the early days of the Colorado Rapids and Hugh Menzies. And then you, the local legend right there in Philadelphia, Robert Smith, And as we encapsulate this interview, as people now know just some of the great things you did, Rob Smith, and we just don't have enough time to do all of them, you admitted to me, which I already said, that you, like me, were emotional, Rob. And so with that, let's end with your thoughts on that emotion, and I hope off of that emotion, you have hope that there won't be that, as you said, worse than glass ceilings like cement and brick and everything else in the way just because the color of your skin do you feel like you know look and then of course memphis happens which is you know unrelated but still is because i think the color of that person's skin do you feel like based on saturday night and as long as you've been involved with the association and everything you've done in soccer off of that do you feel like we're getting closer or is the the fight still waging I would say the fight's still waging, but there's 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 progress. I think a moment like you saw at the convention for me looking in that room and some of the bright young people in that room that are networking with one another, they won't go through their experiences the next 10, 15, 20 years alone. They have support behind them. Folks like yourself that were in the room, a lot of my uh white colleagues that were in the room that were touched. I think some of them were surprised. (laughs) There's a lot of people that came away with, I don't wanna say that people weren't aware. I wanna say that people came away more aware that we need to do better, right? So the emotion for me, goes back to the story I told you about the young kid that couldn't go have ice cream, right? So I'm not as cool as Kadani, but <laughs> I, can, I can stay really calm and cool under pressure <laughs> a lot of times because I don't put myself out there. But um, Brian Courtney, the current president of FC Dalco, I, kn- I knew he couldn't come. He had other commitments, but I had coached Brian in ODP. Brian also played for FC Delco on another age group team. And Brian is now an FC Delco alum who's the president and chairman of FC Delco. He appeared in the back of the room. And initially, I didn't see him as Brian, the kid I knew as a player. I saw him as that 
kid way back in Pittsburgh. That's what I hallucinated. It said to me that, you know what, you, you quietly are making a difference on this race front. Nicole, over the years, did her homework prying <laughs> information out of me. <laughs> How do you know this? How do you know that? What? Uh, and for her to store all that and recognize, even though she didn't know me, that she did her fact checks and due diligence and that um, hey, there's this there's this quiet pioneer out there that his story needs to be told was humbling and emotional itself. So very good. I love that you use the word hallucinating because I honestly was levitating and I'm glad that you shared that same feeling. It's one that I'll never forget and one that I guarantee you I will continue to act on each and every day. We barely touched the tipping points of your incredible life, Rob Smith, but I'm glad people got to know you a little bit better. I will tell you that since that event, both Mike Curry and Nicole Hercules have admitted to me what I knew after looking into your background, that you are well beyond a local legend. You are a national legend. You are a treasure. I know you don't seek that. That's not what you're about, but that's how we feel. And I think the people around you feel the same way. Listen, thank you so much. I feel like we could probably do two more hours, Rob Smith. I'd like to have you back. I'd like to continue to fight the fight and work together and do all I can together. And other people that look like me, look like you, it doesn't matter. That will be the goal. I really enjoyed this, Rob. I hope you did. I do want to congratulate you on that night. And I look forward to the future, my man. I uh, appreciate you having me on. I'd welcome it again. It's, it's actually uh, kind of fun. And, and, and by the way, Nicole and Mike are both, you're doing this. And, uh, <laughs> <coughs> and a uh, colleague of mine, Mary Shane, who I do a lot of work with together and we are dating, but she says, you know what, you, you need to put yourself out there. And I'm like, here we go. I got my three amigos. <laughs> and so here I am. It's probably easier because there's not an audience. And I, it's like uh, you and I are having a beer and just telling stories. So it's, it's very easy. You make it very welcoming. Thanks a lot. Well, and with that, I'd like to be considered one of your amigos, Rob, if that's okay, because I love you, man. I love what happened on that Saturday night, and I love what the future holds. So thanks for sharing your story. It's great to have you on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. It is indeed my honor, sir. And I appreciate you, Dean. Thank you. It's clear that a lot of people appreciate you, including Nicole Hercules, as witnessed on that Saturday night. And I feel like after they hear this podcast, Rob, they might want to reach out to you. What do you think? If someone wants to turn that concrete ceiling into glass, I know I'm strong enough to break through it at this old age. I'm ready to do that too. My email is Robert C. Smith, JR83 at gmail.com. And there you have it. When we return, we hit the training ground with Dr. Rachel Linval from The Mindful Project. As a soccer coach, 
you're no stranger to developing your players. But how are you developing your own expertise? As a United Soccer Coaches member, you receive access to a range of resources, like our online learning platform, The Training Ground, to aid in the growth and enhancement of your coaching skills and career. From coaching education courses to lifestyle services, take advantage of new opportunities and member benefits with an annual United Soccer Coaches membership for just $125. Join the home of all coaches today at unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps, another jam-packed show. And now it's time to turn our attention yet again to the training ground. That means a special visit with one of my favorite people, Dr. Rachel Linval from the Mindful Project. Always great to see Dr. Linval. Hi, Rachel. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it was great to see you and your husband in Philadelphia, by the way. Really nice to see both of you. I couldn't do everything I do without him, so I got to give him a lot of props. So I was glad that uh, he got to run into you as well. Well, and I had my wife with me, so she's also my Zen. So it was, it was the best convention ever for all the right reasons. So with that, another amazing article that you've written. I really value what you bring to the training ground. This one is called Positively Impacting Mental Health Outcomes Through Mental Skills and Team Culture. On its whole, what a great topic. Can you break it down and then we'll get to four of the key mental health challenges and athletes based on the research? Yeah, I think that this is such a topic that has just really landed in the laps of coaches right now. And, and I thought that before going to the convention, but I think that much more in conversations that I had at the convention is this is a, a heavy weight that coaches are feeling is, you know, they are, are you know, trying to navigate this culture of mental health with their athletes and they, they don't want to overstep their bounds right? Of, of saying, Hey, I'm not a psychologist, but you know, where's my role? How do, how do I help support my athletes the most? So that was my intention in this article is to try to give some tools for coaches that they can use in and incorporate into their everyday training. Well, let's start by identifying some common roots for mental health challenges in athletes based on the research. And there are four of them, perfectionism, comparison, ineffective tools for navigating emotions and identity. I'll say each one and then you go. That's how we'll do it. So we'll start with perfectionism. Perfectionism is shown to really be tied to depression, among other things. Um, and that can show up in fear of failure, fear of success, and fear of judgment. And the fear of failure is one that we might it might see when we kind of push an athlete to try something new. Maybe we're wanting them to try a new position, um, or maybe we see them not wanting to try a new formation. It's it's kind of that that fear of anything that might like make them look bad or make them look like they're not successful. And it also can show up in what feels backwards that the concept of fear of success, um, and and that would kind of equate to you know they might feel like they could be successful at a certain level, but they don't feel like they could be successful at a higher level. So they may actually intentionally fail at a lower level to lower your expectations of them. And I might equate this to, I, I love to swim when I was a little kid. And I felt like if I belly flopped off the low dive, I could handle that pain. But if I belly flopped off the high dive, ooh, I would be hurting. 
So it would kind of be that that sort of concept for them as they might intentionally kind of pull back and, and not allow you to think that they could be successful at higher levels. And, and then the fear of judgment, you know, I think we can point a lot of fingers clearly at things like social media, that's just a reality of the world that we're in, where athletes might feel like they're going to get judged by peers. Um, they might feel like they're going to get judged by their, their parents, even, you know, maybe they don't feel like they're living up to their parents' expectations, or if it's a club situation and they're at a tournament where there's college coaches, they may fear that they're going to get judged by college coaches. And there's just a lot of internal narrative going on with our athletes right now at all ages and it's important for us to be aware of that as coaches comparison comparison again we'll link that back to an easy connection with that social media piece and again it's not going away that is a reality of it but there's so many comparisons that athletes can make all of the time and and us being aware that you know when they are looking at at someone else on another team or on their team and constantly comparing themselves that that can be a, a real link to depression so when we notice that happening when we hear that happening that's something where we as coaches can step in and say talk about about what they bring to the table. What is unique about th that athlete? And what is it that, and, and if they are comparing to something that they can improve on, helping them see, you know, what, what is going to best benefit you and giving them the tools to do that. Ineffective tools for navigating emotions. This is a really big one because we as adults oftentimes don't have great tools for navigating emotions. And a lot of times, you know, the MO has been, if we feel a negative emotion, we try to get it to go away. We almost categorize it as being bad, but helping our athletes understand that all range of emotions is a part of life. And it's not about focusing on just being happy all the time, because that's not realistic, but it's realizing and giving our athletes the tools, which I talk about a little more in this article, but helping them understand that that we don't have to always be, you know, at our happiest or our best to be able to perform because sometimes we might be so focused on being at our best, you know, mentally to be able to perform. We might and we might think that that's the only way we can perform. But helping them understand that that we can continue to play, we can continue to do life despite having this full range of emotions which is very very normal. And finally, Dr. Linval, identity Identity is can refer to a lot of different things. In this article, we're talking specifically about their identity as an athlete. And this is so important because as coaches, we love that that kid that comes and they're the soccer is life kid. We love the ones that eat, breathe, live soccer because, man, those are often our go-to kids. But that can kind of have a dark side because who are they without the game? And so whether it's, you know, whether their career, whenever their career is done or whether it happens suddenly because of injury or maybe even a disciplinary issue where they're not allowed to play their sport, if they are only identifying themselves as an athlete, athlete or as a soccer player, that, that can lead to a lot of negative emotional uh, mental health issues. To quote a friend of yours, John D. Martini, and I quote, soccer is the easy part. It's the life stuff that is hard, end quote. Can you elaborate on that? 
Yeah, John is the head women's soccer coach at San Francisco State, and he and I actually met several years ago. We've coached many years and many summers of uh, Notre Dame soccer camps together, and uh, he always, you know, has has pitched it as as coaches. You know, if we have a problem with our back line, that's easy to fix, right? If we have a problem with our midfield, that's easy to fix. But it's the it's the life stuff that a lot of times we might not know how to best help our athletes, and it's just constantly changing, especially if you're a coach that has been coaching for many years i've coached for over 20 years and i saw a, a different athlete many times throughout right that our generations are changing and we have to be able to learn how do i meet the needs of each of those athletes and that's kind of the stuff he's talking about that's the really hard stuff is is figuring that out so again that's kind of a a reason that i wanted to put this out there to give tools for coaches and the things that i'm saying in this article they don't replace you know psychologists or psychologists psychiatrists, they don't replace uh, counselors, but they are some tools that can help coaches be able to better navigate the, the just the mental health situation that we're currently in. As always, Dr. Rachel Linval ends with a positive message as I'm reading from her article where it says, we have entered a new era of athlete, one that was just below the surface pre-pandemic, but has very clearly emerged in the past two years. We can be frustrated by the challenge or we can embrace it. You very clearly say that you encourage all of the athletes to embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that sometimes it can be uh, frustrating as a coach because we kind of feel like we have our style nailed down. We, you know, we have what we think works and then the athlete changes. And sometimes we can almost blame them like they're the problem. But really, as coaches, we need to be constantly learning and developing and adjusting. Um, and that's one of the big things is that a lot of times people think that this came about in the pandemic. But in my doctoral research was happening right before the pandemic. And at that time, stress and anxiety in uh, youth up through college and beyond was already starting to, to increase significantly. Anxiety, depression, all of these things before the pandemic. So this was brewing, and then now we're just all aware of it. Um, but it's not something that we can just sit back and tell athletes they need to toughen up. This is something that we need to realize is a real thing, and we can we can help with it. Another great article by Dr. Rachel Linval that's part of the United Soccer Coaches Training Ground on all of our mediums. The article is called Positively Impacting Mental Health Outcomes Through Mental Skills and Team Culture. You can learn more about Dr. Linval by emailing her at rachel at themindfulproject.us or going to the web, themindfulproject.us. You're a co-founder with Aaron McLeod. I want to end with a quick update on what the great Aaron McLeod is up to. Yes, so she just, uh, if you follow her on social media, she just uh, did, a did a big announcement where she officially retired from uh, the Canadian national team. Um, and she is transitioning from uh, Orlando Pride to playing for a team in Iceland. And uh, that is a very intentional transition for her. She has the opportunity to play for, I'm going to mess up the name, but Stardnon is what I'm going to say. But I'm sure, you know, my Icelandic is definitely not great. Um, but they are a part of the uh, a part of the Champions League. So she will have the opportunity to play in Champions League. But more importantly, she will have time to invest into more things that she is passionate about um, with equality and growing the women's game and even with the Mindful Project. So I'm really proud of her with that and excited for her as she's still able to continue playing um, at a good level, but yet have more time to invest and things she's passionate about.
In my opinion, everything about you, Dr. Rachel Linvall, is great. Again, you can learn more by emailing her at rachel at themindfulproject.us. You're welcome anytime. Thanks for all you're doing on the training ground, and thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Linvall, and thank you, Lee Gerald, who heads up high school programs and services for United Soccer Coaches. She recognized that the National Federation of High Schools selected their National Coaches of the Year from the 21-22 season for all high school sports, and that included girls' soccer and boys' soccer. The girls' soccer National Coach of the Year is Bill Piper. The boys' high school soccer coach of the year is Mike Hagerty. We meet them both coming up right here on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps. Performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program. The United Soccer Coaches Performance Analysis Level 1 Special Topics Diploma will provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. Additionally, successful candidates will achieve Level 1 accreditation as an Applied Performance Analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the Master Course Schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. As you've heard, the CEO for United Soccer Coaches, Jeff Van Dusen, say so often, United Soccer Coaches is indeed the home for all coaches. That includes high school coaches. And under the leadership now of Lee Jarrow, who heads up high school programs and services, Lee let me know that the National Federation of High Schools, NFHS, recently announced the 2021 22 National High School Coaches of the Year for all high school sports, and that includes women's and men's soccer. And we are pleased to be joined by both the women's soccer and men's soccer high school coaches of the year. We'll start with the women's soccer coach of the year, Bill Pfeiffer. And Bill joins me now. Bill, great to be with you. Nice to be with you, too. <laughs> yeah, we're delighted to have you on. So first off, tell us the name of the high school, the state and city that you're located, and we'll get rolling. I coach for Moon Area High School. We're located outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we're the Lady Tigers. The Lady Tigers. And you've been pretty good. I know you're coming off another state title. How many state titles have you won at this school? This is our fifth. Fifth state title. That is a lot. And you think you can do it again, winning another one? We have the kids back that can do it. The younger kids have been involved in the program for a while. The culture we've built in and around the program has been able to sustain the success that we've had over the years. Who is Bill Pfeiffer? Where are you from? Where did you go to college? How did you fall into coaching? And how did you make high school your home for such great coaching success? I grew up in uh, Springdale, which is about 45 minutes away from where I live, and uh, played soccer there for uh, Harmerville Hurricanes one of the oldest clubs in the United States. So I had a you know, good background, very tight uh, knit community. From there, I went and played at St. Vincent's College. After graduating, um, I was out of the sport for a couple of years and then I started coaching down at Harmerville and eventually moved out to where I am now and um, met some people out this way and uh, caught on to the high school game. And what was it about the girls game that attracted you? Because they obviously play some great soccer at the girls high school level. You know, the girls are committed. They're not able to play the ball like most of the boys or the men's uh, game at 60, 70 yards. Uh, you know, every time they ping it around. Girls, I think, play a little bit smarter. 
tactically or um, aware of the game. You know, they play within themselves. Overall, just play a uh, very clean game. Touches are good, and, you know, they work hard at the little things. All right, Bill, you just won the NFHS National Coach of the Year for girls' soccer at the high school level. That's a pretty good memory. Can you tell me some of your top memories in the game so far, Coach? Some of the kids going on to playing at some pretty good programs. I have some kids that have played at St. John's, Dayton, Louisville, down at Pitt. Some good memories there. Kids coming back. I see kids that their kids play for me now. (laughs) Second-generation players being invited to weddings. And it's not just soccer-related stuff. You know, the first state title back in 2012 was pretty exciting. Coming back, uh, I was on a hiatus for a couple of years from Moon and coming back and winning uh, back-to-back state titles. I think that has to be pretty much near the top. You're hearing the voice and the passion of Bill Pfeiffer, the NFHS National Girls High School Coach of the Year. You know, at United Soccer Coaches, we talk a lot about sharing ideas. And Bill, we talk a lot about mentors. Are there some key mentors that have helped shape your coaching mentality? I coached with uh, John Kowalski, an ODP. You know, he's a good friend of mine. Coached up at Robert Morris. You know, that's where I'd met him. I did the ODP with him. And another one from the area was Gene Klein. You know, people from outside of the area may not know Gene, but he's probably one of the top coaches on the East Coast, if not the United States. Guys like that to take me under their wing and talk to me, mentor me, answer questions. It meant a lot to me when I was coming up. You talked about those five state titles. That's playing good soccer. What's the best way to describe the kind of soccer your high school team plays? We play a lot of possession soccer, high pressure. Defensively, we defend from the top back. I've always told the kids, if you don't give up any goals, you can't lose. You can tie, but you can't lose a game. This year, we you know, only gave up three goals the whole season, and last year it was five. We pride ourselves playing defensive soccer, counterattacking, getting everybody involved. It's not just one-dimensional. If you can't play defense and, you know, in this program, you probably don't get on the field a lot. Well said. As we know, most successful coaches usually have a strong family behind them. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? My wife's very supportive. Her name's Sherry. I have four grandkids that like to come out to the games. They come to the youth camps that we run. Right now, my uh, grandson plays college soccer. It's nice to have them run. They're supportive of the program. Bunch of pictures with them in it, so that uh, makes it nice. My wife really wasn't sure because she had never seen soccer before she met me, but now uh, she's kind of bitten on it. You know, without your family support, you, you can't do anything. You know, that's part of it. That's what I tell the kids, you know, soccer is important, get you to the next level. But without your family, you're really not going to go anywhere. Well, and I like the fact that you led with the notion of you're putting players into better positions, you know, going to college to play soccer. I get the feeling, Bill, just getting to know you that even if they don't go on to play soccer, you uh, play a big role in shaping their lives and their next steps. That's important to you as well, isn't it? Yes. Some of the kids, you know, it's social, um, the aspects of the program. We do a lot of stuff outside of soccer, a lot of philanthropic program. But this past season, as a team, we carried a a 3.94 grade point average. Every kid was on honor roll. Half the team carried at least a 4.0. So for them to go on to the next level, um, you know, this is just the first step in their life. They've moved on and been successful in all aspects of their life, not just on the field, but in the classroom as well. 
And I think, Bill, I may be wrong on this, but I think the team that did that with that great grade point average, did you guys go undefeated? Is that right? Yes, we did. We went uh, 24 and 0. 24 and 0. So do you even remember what it's like to lose, my man? It's hard. The last two years, we've, uh, we've lost one game. And the last four years I've been at Moon, um, we've lost two games in four years. So when you're not coaching high school soccer, are you a fan of professional soccer? Do you have a favorite MLS team? Do you have a favorite European team, Coach? Well, lately I watched a little bit of Wrexham uh, FC, <laughs> watch how they built from there. But uh, a lot of the teams that I follow, I follow Barcelona. I like uh, Pep, the way he uh, coaches, his style. So I've had to switch a couple times in the past few years as he switches teams. But mainly, um, you know, I, I follow a lot of the La Liga and um, Barcelona. Bill Pfeiffer, the NFHS Girls High School Coach of the Year. When you got the call or the email, obviously you had the credentials to back it up with yet another state title and another undefeated season. What do you remember about the call or email and how it made you feel? Well, I work at an uh, indoor soccer arena. I was literally on the field roughing a game, and my phone started going off, and I was wondering, you know, what was going on? I was hoping it wasn't something bad. Then I check, and I probably had about 15 messages uh, congratulating me. Big smile on my face. Probably some of the people in the stands thought I was up to something no good. It was a great feeling, not only to win it, but people following me, let me know. It's not just about me. It just shows that, uh, you know, the program at Moon, you know, it's cared about. The community cares about what goes on. The parents buy in. The kids buy in. The administration's been great. So it just shows how strong of a community and school district that I've been associated with and fortunate to be able to work for. Now, do you know if the NFHS, are they sending you a plaque? Are they sending you a certificate? Are they sending you a new car? Like, what do you get? <laughs> it's funny you say that. My assistant coach said that's what they should get me a new car. But um, yeah, I'll be receiving a plaque. So my wife was real thrilled about that. She said something else that uh, will need to be dusted. But uh, you know that I'll dust myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course you will. So I guess that means the plan is to hang it at home or hang it at the school office. Where are you going to put it? I think that's one I will hang uh, at home. <laughs> yeah, well, it's certainly a lot of pride as well. And of course, you're here because of the great work Lee Gerald does and United Soccer Coaches. Can you talk a little bit about what the association has meant to you and your development, sir? I like getting the newsletters, um, being able to reach out to some different coaches, and the convention's uh, a great way to meet people. You know, um, I try to get there at least every other year. Made some great friendships through the association. The coaching courses have been instrumental in what I do. It gives me a different perspective on stuff. As I tell some of the younger coaches now that, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel. <laughs> the wheel's been made and all you're doing is maybe changing it up a little bit. But, um, you know, with all the stuff that they do, the educational programs and the opportunities now that they're giving players, it's phenomenal. It's grown so much since I, you know, first joined probably 20, 25 years ago. And finally, before we let you say goodbye, 
both my sons were big time high school basketball players, but they both also played high school soccer more to kind of stay in shape and get ready. And I got to tell you, Bill, they talk more about their memories with the high school soccer team than they do about scoring 30 points against their rivals in basketball. High school soccer is special. There's been a lot of debate over the years between youth club and high school. Can you talk about the merits of high school soccer, sir? I coach, you know, club soccer as well. I've coached in the GA and we've had this debate among the club or people that I know, but being a teacher as well, I think there's so much more to high school soccer than just the game itself. There's friendships that are made, bonds that are made, different aspects of life that you meet. Uh, We do a lot of philanthropic work. The kids come back. We run a uh, senior and freshman mentor project where when the kids come in, the freshmen already have a support group. The kids show them through school, show them where their classrooms are, introduce them to their teachers. And that's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that doesn't go on in club soccer. There's team dinners, uh, a lot of bonding. We go away to camp together. I think there's aspects of life that if you don't play, I think you miss out on. It's part of the educational system. It's not just the sport itself. It's extension of the classroom, yes, but it's like a elective in school. Stuff that you'll never get back if you if you opt out just to play soccer, join the GA or go to an academy team. I think you almost get pigeonholed. And then there's parts of your life that um, you'll never see. You know, you don't get to ride on the bus. Uh, you don't get the thrill of having, you know, seven, 800 people in the stands for a soccer game that you don't have at a club game where it's just your parents and maybe, um, you know, aunt and uncle. There's a lot more to it than just playing. That's a great take. One of the best takes I've ever had on that question. And I think part of the reason why you've had so much success and why I'll say once again, and then ask for your reaction when I say Bill Pfeiffer is the NFHS Girls (laughs) High School Soccer Coach of the Year. One more take on how that sounds, my man. It sounds fantastic. Fantastic. You deserve it all. I really appreciate your time. Glad you're able to share some of your story. Tell my friend John Kowalski, I said hello. We go way, way back. And congratulations on all your success. I look forward to you winning another state title. Maybe we'll have you back when you win another National Coach of the Year Award as well. Great to be with you, Bill. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. We appreciate you, and we congratulate you. And we also congratulate the NFHS National Boys High School Coach of the Year by way of Maine. His name is Mike Hagerty, and we meet him after these messages. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform. From robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations, League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps. As promised, not one, but two National Federation of High School Coaches of the Year. We just met the Girls High School Coach of the Year. Now we meet the Boys High School Coach of the Year. Mike Haggerty joins me now. Welcome to United Soccer Coaches Podcast, Coach Haggerty. 
Well, thank you for having me. It's quite an honor. Yeah, well, it's an honor to know that you are the NFHS National Boys High School Coach of the Year. So tell us the name of your high school. I know you're up in Maine, and tell us how long you've been the head coach at the school. Yeah, I live in Yarmouth, Maine, where I teach and coach and coach the high school boys at Yarmouth High School, southern Maine, just outside of Portland. And I just finished my 26th year as the boys coach at the high school, and I teach at the middle school. And I'm assuming because you're the national coach of the year, you're coming off a banger of a season. Break down the season that uh, you just finished up. We did. We, we won our seventh state title in the last eight years, our school's 15th overall, and the 12th since I've been here since 1997, including that first year of 1997. That's pure dominance up there in Maine. What is it that has made it so special for this program? Clearly, you have great kids. Clearly, you're a great coach. I do think it's a community effort. When I took over the program, we had also just started the Yarmouth Colts, which is our youth club in town. And that's grown from three teams to now over 20 teams every year. And, you know, we're a town of only 8,000 people. Our high school has 500 kids. So it's not like we're this massive school. We've got, again, over 300 kids in our youth program, over 100 kids, boys and girls playing at the high school level. Our girls actually won the state title this fall as well. So we had a double and get this, our football team won the eight man version of their football state championship as well. So we had three state championships this fall alone. And I think that's really a a testament to our community's love of athletics and our community's willingness to support these kids. As I've mentioned before, when we've chatted, the thing I love about Yarmouth is that they don't think sports is more important than education. They, they just think it's an important part of their education. And we have a lot of wonderful support in our community. And again, starting with the Yarmouth Colts and a shout out to the Lynch family, Kieran and Ann Lynch, who founded the program, whose two sons, Declan and Owen, played for me. Declan was the first captain I had in Yarmouth and he went on to play at Dartmouth and Owen came by a few years later and Owen was the best player we've ever had in Yarmouth. And he went on to play at Providence, had some MLS tryouts, actually had a professional career in Longford Town Football Club in Ireland. So the Lynch family really deserves the credit for starting our youth program. And Rich Smith, the guy who founded the girls program and won a few state titles, he and I just kind of took that program and grew it as quickly as we could with a lot of help from the community. So I know that I got the wonderful individual honor, but it really is a community honor. There's no way that I could have done all this by myself. And it's been such a reflection of our wonderful community and a community that loves soccer. And that honor is the NFHS National Boys High School Coach of the Year. Yarmouth, the nickname for Yarmouth for all these great sports teams. What's your nickname, Coach? We are the Clippers. We are are right on the coast, and we're named after a ship. (laughs) All right, the Clippers. That works for sure. And I love the fact that you're giving shout-outs because, as you know, you're here on behalf of United Soccer Coaches. They dedicate a lot to high school coaches. It's a key part of our membership. Lee Gerald leads it. She does an amazing job. She wanted to make sure that you were on the podcast. So with that, at United Soccer Coaches, it's a lot about sharing information, and it's a lot about mentors. How about for you, Mike Hagerty, who have been some key mentors for you shaping your career as a very, very successful coach? Well, thank you. I I mentioned Rich Smith, who he and I have coached together for a bunch. I actually did my student teaching with Rich in the middle school here in Yarmouth back in 1992. And at the time I was coaching at my alma mater during high school, the girls team where I got to coach my sister Catherine in her senior year and her coach, Jean McClure, 
God rest his soul, was my first ever youth coach at the Portland Boys Club back when I was 10 years old. So G. McClough was a, was a huge influence on my life, as was my high school coach, Bill Moses. I've stayed in touch with them my whole life. You know, we lost Gene a few years ago. Bill Moses was one of the first ones to reach out and congratulate me when he heard about the award. And certainly his tutelage and his belief in me has impacted my entire life, both of them. I'd like to hope if I can have a little bit of an impact, even a portion of that impact on other kids, it's kind of paying it forward. So, you know, Bill Moses and Gene McClure and Rich Smith are probably the three gentlemen that I would credit the most with helping me grow. And you talked about the United Soccer Coaches. I've been a member for, God, almost 30 years now. And one of the things I love about the membership is all that they share. I haven't figured this job out yet. I haven't figured out being a great coach. I haven't figured out being a great teacher. No one has all the answers. And I love, you know, what Gene and Bill and Rich do is right is exactly what the United Soccer Coaches does is they share stuff and they want to make it their own and make it better and then share what worked for them right back. So I don't think anyone can figure this job out perfectly. So much of it has to do with relationships in your team and relationships within your staff and relationships within your community. I'm also a big fan of, there's a gentleman named John Gordon who writes a bunch of books. He talks to a lot of professional coaches, a lot of college coaches, and a lot of teachers and, and teacher leaders. And he's a big fan of positive relationships. And he coined the phrase, it's not tough love, it's love first, and then you can be tough and demanding. And I love those types of things. And I think we try to put those in practice here in Yarmouth. And we're also in a community that supports their teachers and coaches. And we're in a community that respects their teachers and coaches, which I really feel fortunate to have landed here. I feel the enthusiasm and the passion coming through this podcast. I wish all of you could see Mike Haggerty, the NFHS National Boys High School Coach of the Year, getting it done up there in Maine. I'm glad that you plugged United Soccer Coaches. That's a great family. I also know that great coaches need a supportive family. How about shout outs to your own family, Mike Haggerty? I appreciate that. Yeah, my lovely wife, Cindy, who is the most selfless angel I, I've ever met. She's the best mom, best partner you could ask for. She allows me to dedicate so much time because she does run our home. You know, so my dear wife, Cindy, our oldest daughter is Maria. She's 30. That's when I actually started my youth coaching with her U8 team back when we lived in Portland. She's fabulous. My oldest son is Michael Jr., who just graduated from St. Joseph College here in Maine, where he was a swimmer. And he's going to enter the U.S. Navy, and I'm really proud of him and the service he's going to give our country. My other son, Nolan, just finished his basketball career at Brandeis. All of them were multi-sport athletes, by the way, and they all played soccer growing up. Maria probably enjoyed high school track a little more. Michael enjoyed swimming a little more. Nolan enjoyed basketball a little more. And he finished his career at Brandeis, and he's right now in the process of applying to graduate schools. He wants to get his Ph.D. in psychology, and he may end up in the armed forces as well through an Army program. We'll see. And then I have a 17-year-old daughter, Maya, who is enjoying a wonderful basketball career right now and had a great fall. She was on that state championship team that I mentioned, coached by a good friend of mine, Andy Higgins, who has also become a wonderful colleague, and, and we share a lot as well. So Maya is fortunate to be coached by him. And then my youngest, my baby, Evangeline, is an, an eighth grader. We'll be going into high school next year. So those are my five kids, and they all play soccer as well as other sports. They are certainly a blessing for my wife, Cindy, and me, and we feel really fortunate to live, teach, and coach in the same community because this town has wrapped their arms around me and my children as well. Mad props. Great answer. Love that you got your entire family in there. You know, because I asked Bill, who won the Girls Coach of the Year, this question, I need to ask you as well. 
because I even pointed out to him that both my boys were big time basketball players, but they played high school soccer. And I find them talking more about their high school soccer memories than even their high school basketball memories, Mike, and the merits of high school soccer. You have the floor. There's been a lot of debate, particularly with the you know upper echelon youth clubs. Talk about the merits of high school soccer. I am a huge fan of high school sports and I'm not anti-academy or anti-anything. I think, you know, people and kids and families have to make the best decision for their individual child. However, high school sports are maybe one of the most important parts of their education, as I mentioned earlier. And I know in the Northeast, especially high school sports is still a big deal. It's a big deal to play for your community. It's a big deal to play with your friends. It's a big deal to represent your friends and their families and your school and your community. And I'm glad it's still a vital part of, of high school up here in the Northeast. I know across the country, you know, my nephews played down in Florida, high school sports are a little less emphasized and I feel bad for them. I do think our kids create lifelong memories and make lifelong friends from their times in high school athletics. I also have talked to a bunch of college coaches over the years, you know, we've sent over 40, close to 50 Yarmouth high school soccer players to play on collegiately. I've never talked to a college coach who didn't want their kid playing multiple sports. Some of them may take the route like my son, Nolan. He played three sports through eighth grade and then two sports through his sophomore year. And his senior year, he narrowed just in on basketball. But he had a foundation. He had a foundation of multiple sports where he played multiple roles. He might have been the star of the basketball team, but he wasn't on soccer and baseball. So learning to play multiple roles for us in Yarmouth, the number one point of high school soccer and high school sports is to learn how to be a great teammate. That is our overall goal. If you play on multiple teams and play different roles on those teams, I think you learn to be a great teammate in a lot of different situations. That's invaluable. There aren't many jobs in the world where you are working alone. So you have to be a great teammate, whether it's part of your job, part of your community, whatever you do. And I think that may be the number one benefit of high school sports is learning to be a great teammate. And that's not always easy, right? It's not always easy when kids do care so much and kids want to play. It's also not easy when they see, you know, the selfie generation with all the social media and everything's about me, 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 or it often is, excuse me, it's not everything. I think it's important that we emphasize the we part of team sports. And I'm glad to hear your sons had those memories of soccer, right? It's, it's a beautiful team sport and it's a great opportunity for kids who do play other sports to get foundational movement, cross training, all that good stuff, but again, to play different roles. So yeah, learning to be great teammates, I think is the most important part of being a high school athlete. And you, that carries lessons the rest of your life. Another great take. We'll end it with this. As you're hearing the voice of Mike Haggerty, recently named the NFHS National Boys High School Coach of the Year. Soak that in one more time with all of your success. Can you put into words what that means? I was greatly humbled by it. And I've, it's been overwhelming to receive, you know, congratulatory notes and emails and texts from former players and former players' families. I don't believe that I'm the best coach in the country. By f I, I know better coaches in my town, but I do feel like it's an honor to represent coaching. It's an honor to represent soccer coaching and Maine. Maine doesn't always get as heavily recruited or maybe as recognized as it could We've had, you know, I mentioned Owen playing professionally. Roger Levesque from Falmouth had a great career on the MLS. His teammate Aaron Mainch also from Falmouth. They both played at Stanford together. I had a goalie, Chris Canab, who played it at Bryant and was one of the top 10 goalies in the country. So, you know, Maine does produce some quality athletes and some quality soccer players. And for me, it's also a chance to highlight Maine soccer and all the good that's going on up here. It's a nice reflection of what we've been able to do in the Northeast corner of the country. 
but it's, it's certainly a reflection, again, of our Yarmouth community and what we've been able to do as a town together and supporting each other in our programs. You know, kids from three up play a lot of soccer. And it really makes me proud, the quality, but also how they play, right? Being great teammates and our focus is never on winning. One of the things I learned from my college coach, Ed Cannon at St. Anselm College down in New Hampshire, was that if we just focus on being our best, the winning and losing will take care of itself. So our goal is not to win state titles every year. Our goal is to be our best. Now, if we are at our best, we often have the talent to win or compete for state titles, but our goal is to be at our best. And the winning will take care of itself, and it has in spades, and we're really lucky about that. We feel good about that. So, yeah, I'm honored to accept this award on behalf of all the soccer coaches, but especially in Maine, where it's a good example of when you really support your high school program, good things can happen like they have in Yarmouth. Great way to embrace the honor. And let me end by just saying it's been an honor to spend time with you, Mike Hagerty. Congratulations. All the success to you and your family. Mad respect. Thanks for being with well, us. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you highlighting high school sports. I think it's a big deal. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And before we go, I heard Alexi Lawless was going to be on this podcast too. <laughs> and a quick shout out. When I was playing in the 80s and early 90s, I was a big fan of his and his crazy red hair and the ugly U.S. shirts they used to have. The, the I still have a copy of the, I bought one in the 90s down at Foxborough Stadium of the ugly denim shirts with just the stars on them, the national team shirts then. It was so ugly, it's, I had to keep it. So a shout out to him. I also loved hearing him during the World Cup and his takes on things. So I'm a big fan of him and what he's done for soccer as a player and now as a commentator. And it's really quite a special honor to be in the same podcast as him. So a little fan there. So tell him, please, I, I'm glad to be mentioned in the same list as him as far as who's going to be on this podcast. <laughs> I will. And that'll resonate with me because I was the press officer of that 1994 team. And in my office, I have that ugly jersey <laughs> signed by every single member of that 1994 U.S. World Cup team, including Alexi Lalas, who signed it to Dean. You kick ass, 1994 U.S. World Cup team. So nice. Oh, that is tonight. awesome. Yeah, oh, that, and I, yeah, I, I brought that World Cup shirt out during and I hung it in my classroom during the World Cup this year. <laughs> we might have spent a few study halls watching some games in my classroom, right? And the kids couldn't believe that was actually a uniform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it ended up being great memories because they beat Columbia in that uniform. One of the great iconic moments in U.S. soccer history. I'm glad you mentioned that, Mike. Your first class. Go enjoy that award. And thanks so much again. And we'll be back with another member of our 30 Under 30 class right here on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Lee Gaps. It's been a jam-packed show with great guests. And I always love this part of the show when we meet another member of our amazing 30 Under 30 class. Today, we meet Spencer Sandow, who is the varsity girls coach at Midland Dow High School, as well as the assistant at Northwood University. Spencer Sandow, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you. And as I see you on the Zoom, I'm reminded that I saw you at the convention on Friday night when they recognized all 30 of the 30 under 30 members. That was a special night, Spencer. You'll remember that for a long time, right? 
Yeah, that was a really awesome experience. It was my fourth year going to convention and the first time they had been a part of the awards banquet. And it was a great time just seeing all the people receive their awards and being part of the program with the rest of the 30 under 30 members. So tell me, Spencer, what was the best part other than that banquet on Friday of the convention in Philadelphia? What were some highlights for you, young man? One of the big things was just connecting with friends. Like I said, this is my fourth year going and there's a lot of people that I've met at convention and that I really only get to see at the convention. So for me, it's always great to see friends that I don't always see, get to meet new friends. This year, there was a lot of counter-pressing sessions, and it's something that I'm looking to try more this year with some of my team. So it was cool to watch the different, whether it was field sessions or classroom sessions, just on the counter-pressing topic. Great to visit with Spencer Sandow. Spencer, when did you find out about the 30 Under 30 program? How many times did you apply, and how excited were you when you heard the news that you were in? This was the fourth time that I applied. So I was super excited to get in this year. I can't remember exactly. I think I was at work and I had just received an email that I had gotten accepted in the program, which was super awesome. And to be honest, I had totally forgot that I had applied and I didn't think I had gotten in. And then to receive that email on the day that I did, it was really, really cool. Before we get to know you a little bit better, one of the cool things about your application is you chose to do yours on video, which makes sense. You're a handsome young man, but talk <laughs> about that decision because I think they really like the fact that you did your entire application on video. Yeah, this was the first year that I had done a video submission and I just thought I would be better able to answer the questions by doing a video submission. Maybe it'd be a little bit more personable because they get to see my face. Yeah, it was definitely a little bit different of an experience. I hadn't quite done anything like it. It was really cool to kind of have that video option, and I'm glad that I applied that way this year. Walk us through your career. I know, as I already mentioned, you're the varsity girls coach at Midland Dow High School, as well as the assistant at Northwood University. I know you played for Midland Fusion MRL at Midland High School, Northwood University for one year, and Alma College for three years, but tell us where you grew up, what kind of family you had, when you got into soccer, when you fell in love with coaching, and then walk us through the steps that take you now to Midland Dow and also to Northwood University. I'm born in Haiti, but adopted at six months old. So adopted by parents that live in Midland, Michigan. So I've grown up in Midland, Michigan my whole life. There's a big recreation program at the local soccer club, Midland Fusion. And so my dad was my first coach when I was like four years old. And from there, just fell in love with the game. So just kind of kept with the rec program there, played travel soccer there, played a couple years for Vardar in Michigan, then ultimately came back and finished my career at Midland Fusion with our MRL team, which was really cool. Played at Midland High. There's two big high schools in Midland, Midland High and Midland Dow. So it's kind of funny that I coach at Midland Dow now, having grown up a Midland High chemic my whole life, but it's been a cool experience. So had a great experience there, had a fun, good high school career. Then I went to Northwood University, played for a year there, ended up transferring to Elma College, which is a division three school in Michigan. Met a lot of great people. I had a ton of great teammates. I had 
good coaches that I played for. Just kind of while I was there, just seeing kind of the other coaches within the department. I thought it was cool what they were doing, being full-time coaches for like their living. And kind of from there, I said I wanted to give it a go. So once I graduated from Elma, Alex Matson, who was the assistant coach my last two years at Elma, he got a job at Lakeland University in Wisconsin with the women's program. So started out as a graduate assistant at Lakeland University, got my master's degree, kind of got my first college coaching experience. From there, I came back to Elma College for a year and a half. Josh Oakley, who I played for at Elma College, was still the coach. So got to continue to learn from him for a year. And then he got a job at Spring Arbor University which is an NAI school, top 25 program. And I ended up going with him there. I was there for a year. We made the Sweet 16. The team had, I think, the highest ranking they've ever had. So it was a really cool experience being in that environment, working with a lot of top players. And then a job opportunity opened up at Northwood University. I started two weeks before COVID happened. So kind of weird we started training and then the school basically shut down and everything shut down for a while so from there I've been there for three years so I started in March of 2020 and then the high school coach resigned that summer at Dow and to be honest I didn't really look at the job but I talked with some coaches at the local soccer club that I coached with and I decided why not apply and just see what happens. I applied, then I interviewed and they offered me the job and I took it and I've been there for, I've done two seasons and then upcoming on the third season. So kind of funny how it all worked out. I never thought I'd be a high school coach, but opportunity came up and I've loved every minute of it. And you've been able to balance coaching the high school team and working as an assistant at Northwood. And I need you to clarify as well, is Northwood also women or is it men on that side? I work with the men's program at Northwood and it works out really nice. Actually, Midland Dow and Northwood are basically separated by a forest. So (laughs) it's a two minute walk from each soccer field that I coach at. So it kind of, yeah, works out that they're right, right next to each other. And talk about the joy of being able to coach women and men. I mean, I think that's a great experience for you. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm really big on like experiences and getting to experience different things. And it's definitely two different environments being at the high school level coaching women and then being at the college level coaching men. But I enjoy it. Like I said, each thing offers something a little different. It allows me to grow as a coach because the things that I do at Midland Dow might be different than the things that I do at Northwood. And I also coach at Midland Fusion, the local travel club, and even the teams that I coach there are different than the two that I coach at Dow and Northwood. So it's kind of just a great experience getting the coach, the different levels, the genders, because I just think it gives me more experiences as a coach. I love it. I always find variety equals balance. And uh, the busier I am, the happier I am. You sound like the same kind of guy, Spencer. So <laughs> I like that so much. I want to get a couple of clarifications. So what position did you play all the way through college? Mainly a forward throughout my youth career and 
college career. Thanks for telling us about the incredible story of being adopted from Haiti. Can you tell us about your family that you live with? We're big on dropping names. Tell us uh, your mom and dad's names. And do you have other brothers and sisters that are they, you know, actually from your mom and dad? Are they also adopted? Tell us about your family. My parents are Patrick and Deborah Sandow, and they're both from Sanford, which is really close to Midland. They've just been huge supporters of me, so I definitely want to give them a shout out and thank them for everything. I have another brother who is adopted from Haiti, Manny. He's two months younger than me, so he's from a different family in Haiti. And then we actually have two sisters, Aubrey and DJ, and they're both adopted from Bay City, which is like 15 minutes from Midland. So six of us total, all the kids adopted. So it's pretty cool kind of just how it happened and kind of how we're all all together as a family. All right. If you listen to my interviews with the 30 under 30, I'm big on memories and mentors. Give me your greatest memory as a player or as a coach in soccer. What's the best thing to ever happen to you in the game, Spencer? And then after that, tell me some of the mentors and drop as many names as you want. So memories and mentors. We'll start with your greatest memory and we'll have you flip to your favorite mentors. I think winning the district title with Dow High in my first year was super special. And we saw it today, but dealing with COVID. So it was like a shortened spring season, but the girls didn't have a season the year before. We just did a lot of great things that year. We beat Midland High arrivals for the first time in like six or seven years. We won the district title that year, which was the first time in six years. That was my first kind of experience as a coach or being the head coach at like a school level, getting to be there and experience that with all the players was super awesome and something that I'll always kind of remember to this day. All right. And mentors, my man, lay them out there. There's been a lot of good, good kind of people in my life. Again, my parents have always supported me, so I definitely always thank them for that. I met someone actually through a podcast, Sarah Loden, and she's just been a huge kind of inspiration for me. I've loved seeing everything that she does. She goes at the professional level right now, and we're still close to this day. I really only see her at convention every year. She's just been a huge inspiration to me, as well as a local coach that I actually still work with, Kyle Jean. He was a coach at the Midland Fusion Soccer Club. He still is. And he was kind of the first person that told me to go play college soccer. And I had the tools to go play. And even though he wasn't my coach, he would help me and do everything that he could to help me. And we still stay in touch. We still work with each other at the soccer club. So Gino's definitely been a big influence on me. Both my high school coach and my college coach for my last three years, so... Bill Ripke at Midland High. We had a really good relationship. And honestly, I don't think my experiences without him would have led me to coach at the high school level. And then Josh Oakley at Elma College. I played for him. I coached with him for two years. Just kind of seeing everything that he's done in the game has been great. There's been times we've coached at different areas, so we don't stay in touch maybe as often, but whenever we do, it's it's really good. I'd say those people have kind of been big, kind of inspiration and mentors. I'd like to give just two shout outs to people, two really close friends, Autumn Enzer, someone I 
grew up with here at Midland, met her in high school. She's just been a great friend and support um, during my coaching journey, as well as Trey Pitts, someone that I met at Alma College. We're still close to this day, and I'm always able to bounce things off him. So those are two people, not necessarily coaching people, but just two friends that I have in my life that have been there for me from the start of my coaching. Great to lay down those mentors, Spencer Sandow, really enjoying this interview. And I love Sarah. She was a former 30 under 30 member and has gone on to do incredible things. She's not been afraid to challenge herself at the college game, at the pro game. So it's good to have somebody like her. And I love the ties to Michigan. You know, I'm from Ohio. I'm actually, you know, I've got a Big Ten network coverage tonight. So big, big fans of both Michigan and Michigan State. Have you had to pick? Do you lean Wolverines or do you lean Spartans? Where do you go, Spencer? It's tough. It probably varies sport to sport. I would say in general, I lean, well, definitely towards Michigan. And this is tough because I love Jen Klein, too, who coaches the University of Michigan women's soccer. I'm a huge fan of her. But Jeff Hostler coaches the women's program at Alma Star. Yeah, Yeah. Alma College Star. Yeah. Yeah, he was in Alma College. He actually, my first year at Alma, he was coaching at Alma still. So, I've known Hasser for a long time. The so. Haas. Yeah. Yeah. I got a lot of love for both, I guess, the women's soccer programs at both the schools, but I probably lean a, more towards Michigan in general and other sports. All right, Spencer, you know, I never let my folks go from the 30 under 30 class without asking the crystal ball question. Where do you see Spencer Sandow in 15 years, my man? What do you think you're to be doing? I take everything year by year, but. Looking 15 years from now, I think I would love to be a college head coach. That's when I first started coaching. I said that I wanted to coach full-time for 10 years and see how it went. And then decide from there, I've enjoyed all my experiences. I really love the college game. So hopefully in 15 years, being a head coach, whether it be for a men's program or a women's program, as well as I'd love to stay in touch with the youth game as well. So if that means being a youth soccer coach or coaching within the ODP program, wherever I'm at, just something. So I'm still getting to kind of develop the younger soccer players. All right, Spencer Sandow, you're a cool cat. Do you have any social media handles you want to toss out there? I want people to follow you, man. I feel like you're going to do some great things. (laughs) My Twitter and my Instagram are both Spencer Sandow 7 If you shoot me a follow request, I'll follow you back. And then I'm on like Facebook and LinkedIn too. If you just search my name, you'd find me within there. So yeah, definitely open to connecting with anyone. I've had great people who have connected with me when I've reached out after hearing them on podcasts or different things. So I'm always willing to share my experiences and help other people as best I can. Well, and I can tell that um, great people want to meet you because you certainly seem like a great person. I want to remind everybody, it's Spencer Sandow. It's spelled Spencer with S-P-E-N-C-E-R and then Sandow, S-A-N-D-O-W. Love the ties to Michigan. Love that uh, you've got ties to Jen and Haas, two of my favorite coaches as well. Really enjoyed this, Spencer. Good to see you in Philadelphia. Congratulations on being a member of the 30 Under 30 class. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I really looked forward to it, and it was an awesome conversation with you. It really was awesome, and that'll wrap up our show. I want to thank all of our great guests and thank all of the great people at United Soccer Coaches, including Bailey Conklin and Brandon Milburn. I want to thank my producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. 
Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.